Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, City Church. Uh, today is a very special day here at City. It's the one day I know that is coming at the beginning of every year. It's the one that is most bittersweet to any youth pastor. Today we get to honor the high school graduates of 2020. Now, if three months ago you told any of these graduates that this would be the end of their high school career, no one would believe you. They have lost so much over the past three months that would have been so special to their lives. The final season of their spring sports, prom, graduation, Memories they expected to make are now replaced with something that none of us could have foreseen. Seniors, please understand that we do empathize with you, and we wish that your year could have ended differently. But as God does, he works all things for good, and I would like to express to you how amazingly proud of you we are. From your parents and families to your church family, we have watched you and we have seen how much you've grown and matured over the past three months. You've handled this difficult time with so much grace, it was really stunning to watch. Your character is shown through and our hearts are full for you. And even though this is not how we envisioned honoring you, it is still our very great joy to be able to present you to the church today and to say, congratulations and well done. So City Church, may I please present to you our graduating class, of 2020. Well, today, as we continue in our home series, our title for today is going to be Remembering Home. Now, I know that that title invokes a range of emotions and thoughts across our church and for anyone who is listening, because everyone remembers home a little bit differently. 
some with fondness and a full heart and some with smile and great memories. For others, home was a place that, man, you just couldn't wait to get away from. And for some, home was tragedy and difficulty and full of hurt. But whatever your thoughts may be, as we come to Christ, I believe God uses these formative years to shape us and to point us to him, to give us foundations that will serve us the rest of, the, the rest of our lives. The Bible is noticeably clear about the importance of a strong foundation for life, and it's even clearer about where that foundation is found. And today, as we celebrate our graduates, I thought it would be very fitting to challenge them to think clearly of their foundation, especially as they move to the next phase of life. And I thought, I thought that we need to do something a little bit different this year, this year. After all, different times call for different measures. I asked a few of the parents of our graduates. I wish I could have got them all, but I asked just a few if they would take some time and share some of the foundations and values that they were imparting to their students over the past 18 years. So if you would please check out some of our parents. I'll say that the first one that I think we've worked the hardest with is honesty, mm -hmm. always instilling honesty. You know, for us, you know, baptism was a big thing and I never wanted any of our kids to do something spiritual because they thought it right. was going to be what the parents wanted them to do yeah, or needed to be even, you know, what yeah. a, a youth pastor, anybody wanted them to do. It's, you know, that's such a, a private personal thing. We've always preached integrity as, um, you know, one of the main values to focus on and to always be honest and true, even when nobody's watching. Just work ethic that yeah. you, when you get a job and you have a task to do, that's your task. You need to do it to the best of your ability. I think for us, when we got a call or a text when you guys were in Alaska last summer that he decided to get into some very cold water and be baptized there, that's just Jack, right? I mean, he found a perfect mm -hmm. opportunity and it's, again, it's a personal decision between you and, and your Lord. Principles that we've really taught are, are hard work too, you know, and she likes to have fun too. And, and that's another principle that we've taught too. Just to be Absolutely. kind to people, to be kind to your brother, to be kind to your parents, to be kind to strangers. When you think about someone and you look at them and you begin to make a comment to, to be kind. Um, you know, I, I think uh, both at home and, and at school, they were uh, taught, you know, God first, other second, and, and me third. There was a solid <laughs> and consistent message uh, as she was raised up about putting herself third. And if I had to add one more to that, it would be love. It's funny, as parents, we all seem to have a different approach to the values that we want to put into our kids. Most of the values of you seen from that video are, are the same and they're within the, they're within the same ballpark and some we just simply emphasize more than others. But as I talked to these parents, what was abundantly clear was the intensity of their commitment to point their students to relationships with Jesus. I believe pointing students to relationship with the Lord is the goal of every parent. In fact, it is abundantly clear in the scriptures that this is the intent of the father to all parents. In the Older Testament, from the very beginning, we see this command of God and we see this as a goal of parents. Indeed, this was the goal of the entire nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy 6, chapter, Deuteronomy 6 4 through 9, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, normally when people teach and read the Shema, they stop right there. 
But if you just read the next four verses, you'll see the heartbeat as why God inspired Moses to write these words. Because Moses writes this, these commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. And in the beginning of verse seven, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Moses challenges and the, the nation and gives this wisdom to the people as a warning because he doesn't want the new generation of Israelites who are going to be moving into the promised land to repeat the mistakes of their parents. These words are a charge to the nation to model relationship and obedience to the Lord so the next generation has a firm foundation in which they can stand. The New Testament speaks of foundations as well, and today we're going to focus on the parable of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 29. It's the parable of the wise and foolish builder. Now this comes at the end of Jesus' most famous discourse called the Sermon on the Mount. He's sitting on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And although the exact spot is not known, what we do know is that according to chapter 4 and verse 24 and 25, that people from all over the region, including Jew and Gentile, heard of Jesus' works, they heard of his miracles, and they wanted to see him and they wanted to hear him. So as the crowds began to swell around Jesus, he moved himself up onto a mountainside, he called his disciples to himself, and he began to teach them. Now, if you're like me, if, if you're a parent, or, or maybe you've seen this happen before, but if you've ever seen or, or had a conversation where you are speaking to somebody or you see somebody speaking to somebody, but you know that the intent of the words that are being spoken are for everyone in the room, that's what we're dealing with here. I do this all the time with my kids especially in a matter of correction or discipline. As I'm speaking to one, if the other one is within earshot, I make sure I say it loud enough so that that other child will know that what I'm saying goes for them. It's exactly what's happening here. Jesus has drawn in this crowd and he's about to teach his disciples, but what he's saying is for everyone. And he's about to reveal to them a teaching about the kingdom that he intends to build and the one that is present at that moment. More specifically, he's going to be teaching about the people and the citizens who would inhabit this new kingdom. This teaching talks about the heart, the attitudes, the character, and the actions of those who would follow Jesus. As W. Graham Scroge says, it is the presentation of the fundamental principles or an ethical directory for guidance of Christ's disciples in their conduct and rules for life for Christ's followers. They are the model for and the expectation of those who would join this new kingdom that Jesus is about to bring into light. So Jesus delivers his teachings and then ends them with a very poignant parable, which we will read now. It's Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. So let's read. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Now, as we pause for a second, what we need to understand is that ultimately all of Jesus' teachings that we have recorded through the four Gospels are the rock and they are the foundation. But what we need to see here is that what Jesus is specifically pointing his people to is what he just spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So as Jesus says these words of mine, we need to go back through the Sermon on the Mount. We need to reread these words and see exactly what Jesus is pointing us to. Let's continue. In verse 25, the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teacher of the law. So we need to ask ourselves simply in this parable to understand it, what is rock and what is sand? I know that seems like a very weird question to start because we don't really need to dig down very deep here uh, to understand what's being said. We don't need to complicate this. There's many interpretations, but we don't need to complicate. Jesus' words are fairly plain. Dig down, find the bedrock, drop your house on top of it, give it a firm foundation. When the rains come, it's going to stay. But if you build your house in the upper layer of sand, if you don't dig down, you, you build in that loose rock and that loose soil. As the torrents come, the house is gone. However, The best cultural and historical explanation that I have ever read and that I have ever heard, or at least for me, has opened up the imagery of this passage and has driven it deeper home. So the new question is, what is rock and what is sand to the desert culture of Jesus' day? Because let's not forget, these people come from a desert culture and the imagery is a little bit more rich for them. How would Jesus' hearers have understood this imagery how would it have impacted them? So what Jesus is speaking about when he talks about the rock and sand, he's referring to two different spots, which can actually be right next to one another. In a land that has very little rainfall, when the rains do come, especially in Israel, when the rains come in the north in the mountains of of Syria, and as the snow-capped mountains in the winter begin to fall under the spring rains, and all that water begins flooding down into the land of Israel, the ground is so dry and so hard, it can't absorb it. So the water takes the path of least resistance, as water does, and over time, This water will continue down these ancient paths and continue to erode the rock and carve out a crevice and streams within the rock to varying degrees. To the point where you can go to a place like this, you can go to the Middle East and you can see, you can physically see where the water flow is going. Now, if you've ever been, as I said, to the Middle East, or even if you've ever been to the Western United States, you know the imagery that I'm speaking about. If I were to put a more homegrown image Uh, to this, and as we think about the eastern United States where we live, the rock and the sand is the difference between building your house outside or inside the floodplain. In Jesus' day, the rock was everything that was outside of the path of the water. The sand referred to the carved path or the canyon which they call wadis. There's a new word you can learn today. Wadis, and I encourage you, if you ever get a chance, Google that image and you will be so impressed because the imagery of what Jesus is saying is going to come to life. When the rains came down and it filled these wadis and it would rush through, all that was left at the bottom of these canyons and the bottom of these riverbeds was loose sand and soil. In fact, in Jesus' day, shepherds would use these paths 
in order to move sheep through the deserts because as the water stopped and the land became dry, they became like these super highways that cut right through the desert. But also down left in these canyons would be tiny little pools of water that sheep could drink from, even little, uh, even little shrubs and grasses that would grow because of the moisture that was down there. So shepherds would go down into these. They would lead their sheep if they can get them down there. And they would graze them and they would water them, but they would also use it to move them. But this was an extremely dangerous undertaking because you did not want to be in the bottom of this wadi when the water came through. It's absolutely amazing to see. If you've ever seen a flash flood in the desert, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it is true. If you've ever seen a flash flood go through the desert, it is one of the most amazing things in nature. There will be, it'll be so dry and arid and all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, like a freight train, comes a wall of water ripping through this canyon, ripping through this little riverbed, and carrying away everything that's in it. Nothing is left after the water goes through. And now I'm hoping that Jesus' parable is beginning to come to light. Those who were wise built their house on the rock. They looked around, they saw the lay of the land. They saw the path of the water and they realized where the safety and where the security was. They realized that the solid rock is where they would want to build their home. In Jesus' parable, the streams began to rise. So the, rock, the house that was built on the rock is up out of these canyons and the wind and the rain began to beat on the house. But Jesus gives us this image that this canyon, this wadi begins to fill and overflow and begins to hit the house that is built on the rock. And even though those streams are hitting the house, because of where that house is located, it is not going to fall because it is planted firm upon the rock. The house on sand, as we now understand, and as we consider Jesus' words, has zero chance of standing. Not only is this house, is this foundation built on shifting sand, but it's in the direct pathway of the flood. So the wind, the rain, the torrents are coming, and this house in the sand is about to take the full brunt of the storm. Thus, the point of Jesus' parable is this question, where are you going to build your house? To his hearers, this is laughable. No one is going to build a house on the sand. Jesus, are you kidding we know where we need to build our house. Now, Jesus could have been humorous here, could have been hyperbolic, but his words are absolutely biting. In fact, if you read Luke's retelling of this parable in Luke chapter six, Jesus' words are very hard hitting because Luke records Jesus as when he finishes parable as saying this, that the house came down with a crash and its destruction was complete. The image is the storm and the wave that will carry this house away to where there is nothing left. And that church is a terrifying picture for anyone who's building a life outside of Christ. To place hope in an ever-changing cultural beliefs, values, and philosophies. Let's not forget that the point of the parable is to put into practice the words that Christ spoke. Our foundation is his words, his teachings, and living by them, daily choosing to put into practice his words and thereby building a foundation day by day on the words of Christ. In the letter written by James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1 and verse 22, he says this, 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What are the words that Jesus tells us to live by? What are the building materials that are given to us in his sermon that will give us a solid foundation and a stable life? If we look back through his sermon, what we're gonna see is this, that the kingdom of heaven is obtained by those who humbly recognize their poverty and need for God. Comfort and salvation are available to all who mourn the sin in their lives and in this world. He tells us how to obtain mercy. He tells us how to have hope for the persecuted. He shows us the beauty of purity and living a holy life, how to have joy and mistreatment, that our ultimate purpose is living for the glory of God and letting his light shine in this world. He teaches us about freedom from religious oppression, the fulfillment of the law and living in grace. He teaches us about the dangers of having an angry heart and how to reconcile with those that you have offended. He gives us principles about controlling our heart against lusting with what does not belong to us, guarding ourselves from ruining vital relationships in our lives, the depth of a committed marriage, to be people of our word, to be honest and trustworthy, how to respond to abuse, going the extra mile for love's sake, how to love an enemy and do, to do good to them even in their hate, to do good deeds, not for pride, but to do good for others and to glorify God, how to pray and ask for things we need, how to practice religion for the right reasons and not just for praise, pride, or self-righteousness, the importance of eternal treasure and the utter uselessness of worry. Jesus teaches us that God's mercy is new every morning that he holds our tomorrow, to be careful in our judgment of others, especially when we have not examined ourselves and he warns us against hypocrisy and the danger that it poses to our influence. He reminds us that most people will not live this way because it's difficult and not self-focused and that most people will walk on the broad path. And he teaches us to watch out for false teachers even if they seem to be miracle workers. These are the good materials that are given to us in which to build a firm foundation these things will not disappoint. They will not let us down. And there's a lot of information here that deserves our time and our study, but it's the application of Christ's words that's going to matter. Build your life on these words and you will never be moved for on them you can be assured that you are on the rock. Now, if I can for a moment, I would like to brag on a couple of our students and I would ask all of them to pay attention. See, guys, our parents and our home life, our teachers, our church family, and our pastors, they can only point us and point you to the foundation. They can't give it to you. I can't give it to you. You have to make the choice to follow Jesus and put into action his words. You have to build the foundation of your life. And I can tell you, great stories of pretty much all of these seniors, but I'm just going to use a couple. I wish I could give you more, but for the sake of time, and I just can't. And I wanted to share a couple that very literally hit home for me. You see, I have three beautiful children of my own, Zoe, Ethan, and Wyatt. And Zoe is my oldest, and she's almost 11 now, and she's growing up so fast. And I'll tell you what, before I know it, she's going to be 
honored as a graduating senior. And to be honest with you, I am not ready for that. Not in the least. But she's at the age now where she's beginning to pay attention to the scriptures. She's asking who Jesus is, what faith is, and why it's important. You know, she's been reading her Bible every night for the past year and a half, and this little girl is almost through the entirety of the Old Testament. And my favorite part of the day is to sit with her at night and read the Bible and talk about it. She's beginning to see what life is about. And one of the biggest benefits of being a youth pastor and having young kids is that my children get a front row seat at the discoveries that teenagers make in Christ and how they begin to set the foundations and build their lives on his words. As they apply his teachings, as they touch their hearts. In fact, one of my favorite aspects of the Sermon on the Mount is that throughout the entirety of the teachings of Christ, there is a call to honor God in all things and to make lifting him up and glorifying him the central core of all we do. And I see this in all of our graduates. And I've watched it over the years, especially over the past three months. And I want to tell these graduates that my daughter has been watching you. And I cannot thank you enough for the testimony that your life has been to her. I remember Maddie Henning. As one of the students coach, as one of the student coaches for the Strong Girls Run Club at Covenant, her mother Kelly was also Zoe's second grade teacher. Such a wonderful family. But she would tell me, Zoe would tell me every time I'd go and pick her up from the run club and get her in the car and be like, hey, how's it going? What happened? How was it? She would tell me all the time of the one teenager from Reach who ran with her that she was so kind and so sweet. Your love for those little ones has pointed them to Christ. Emma Ferrugio, I took my daughter to see one of your softball games last year. And she was so impressed with your speed and with your strength. She didn't realize that Christians could be competitive and good at sports and that they could honor God and how they played on the field. My daughter now has me play catch with her at least a couple times a week because she wants to play the game just like you did. Jenna DiGirolamo. A few years ago, Zoe and I went to the upper school to catch a field hockey game and and I didn't realize it at the time, but I'm so proud of it now. But half of the field hockey team at Covenant at one point in time were all students that came from City Church. It was quite awesome as a youth pastor to see this. We sat near your parents. And she loves seeing all the girls from Covenant go out there and play so hard and do so well. But she keyed in on you. She keyed in on your leadership, on your joy of the game, and your love for your school and for your teammates. Your smile was so bright and so beaming and your, your love for what you were doing was so contagious that it caused Zoe to shout out at the top of her lungs, go Eagles, the entire time. It was actually quite embarrassing, but a lot of fun to see. She saw how you loved her, your friends. She saw how you loved her school, your school. And she emulates that today. Jack Kelly, I've had the privilege of baptizing many students and all of them were very special to me. But I have to admit, baptizing you in a freezing lake in Alaska that last summer on our mission trip is one that I will never forget. 
as you're looking on your screen now, you'll see the picture of that baptism. I showed Zoe this picture. I told her your story. And just a few months ago, she told me that she wants to be baptized just like you. Not just over the past few years have you made an impact, but over the past few months, the foundation of your life in Christ has been shown. You missed so much in these past few months, but you, you are filled with joy and optimism and ever looking forward. You took this test stride for stride, and you didn't break because your feet are on the rock. Continue to build your foundation Daily surrender to Christ and build your life on his words because I promise you, greater storms are going to come, but the result will be the same. You will stand and you will persevere the waves and the torrents of life, the struggles and the hardships, the shifting sand of culture, unexpected loss and tragedy, sickness, pain, persecution, and all the attacks of the enemy will break over you like water over rock because your feet are planted on him. As you take the next step, continue to build on the rock. Do not forget the foundation that has been laid in your life all of these years. Build upon them, become stronger in them, and be the living words of Christ to a world that is being washed about. City Church, are your feet planted on the rock? Have you made the words of Christ the bedrock on which you stand? Has this time of, of COVID perhaps tested you and perhaps shown that the foundation of which you're standing is, is shaky and there may be cracks or weak spots? If this time in, 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 our, in our culture, in this time in Charlottesville, in this time of, of struggle and uncertainty have, has revealed any faults in the foundation, may I challenge you, may I encourage you to go back to his words and begin building the foundation using the words of Christ to build. To those listening who might have never known Christ or this foundation, the only thing I can say to you and the only thing that I would call you to do is to stand on the rock. Hear the words of Christ, take his yoke upon you, and you will find sure footing in a life of uncertainty. Christ holds out his hand to you without judgment, without condemnation, and he invites you to stand upon the rock. City Church, be so blessed. And to the graduates of 2020, congratulations and well done.